0: People think that coding is just like this magical place. As I've experienced more and more in programming, it's just like learning anything else. If you really like programming or if you really like what it creates and you're able to put your ideas to life, then I don't see why not to just learn this specific language that just helps you talk to a computer. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast.
1: This is a weekly show where one week I interview a recently hired junior developer And then the next week, an expert like a senior dev or recruiter so that you can learn how to break into tech from both sides. I'm your host, Alex Booker, and today I'm joined by Gabriel from the USA. After teaching himself to code on Scrimber, then later enrolling in university, Gabriel just landed an internship at Meta, which of course is formerly known as Facebook. In today's episode, we are going to learn how Gabriel optimized his study schedule and what it took to land a coveted internship at a company like Meta. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. Please just remember to share the episode on social
0: media if you like it. It helps more than you know. Here's Gabriel. Growing up, because right now I'm 21, I've been like surrounded with technology, but I've only probably for like the last four or five years, I've been pretty interested in technology. And I believe during like senior year of high school that I really got into programming.
1: That's a great point. I think a lot of people growing up, maybe in the 90s, they don't exactly have a computer at home or realize it's something they can make a career out of. The industry's evolved a lot as well. But growing up and being just 21 now, I'm sure it's pretty much always been a part of your life, give or take. What was it that made you decide to learn to code specifically?
0: So there is a French developer named Bruno Simon, Bruno Simon, and he has a a portfolio. It's essentially like a 3D portfolio. So you would have like a car and you would drive around like this environment and you would see like all his projects and there'd be like mini games and things like that. I was incredibly impressed when I saw that. So I decided to watch YouTube videos like HTML, CSS to understand like the front end. And then that's when actually when I found out about Scrimbo because watching videos were pretty boring. So using something that was very interactive really hooked me to Scrimbo.
1: I can't believe Bruno Simon is the portfolio that inspired you to learn to code. Because as you were describing it, I was like, yeah, this sounds familiar. I Googled it. And it's like a really famous portfolio. Like any website or post you see that shows you, you know, top 10 portfolios for developers, this is up there. It's like a really cool little 3D car you can drive around and stuff. Frankly, I'm not sure I could code
0: this. What about you? I attempted to go for it. So it was pretty difficult, especially like with a car, but I've done a couple of 3D scenes Like I did a a hackathon recently and I just basically use like 3D models from Blender that I created and it would slowly fall from like the top viewport. It would slowly fall down and there's like a little mist and fog in the bottom. So like slowly disappear as well. So I've done a couple. Really cool that you got
1: involved in some hackathons there. Were you just learning on Scrimba sort of by yourself or did you
0: learn anywhere else and, you know, go to events and things like that? Before Scrimba, I watched, I think it was like 10 or 11 hours of H on css on youtube just like completely alone just going through it and i mean it wasn't like the best experience it was just me tediously watching all these videos so i was like searching around to see what would be like a great platform that would be like very interactive and have like a community for people so i can ask questions and then that's how I found Scrimba. Don't remember exactly how, I believe I was just like surfing the web and I found it like that. So I did the entire, I believe it's called the front-end developer bootcamp, which was like 60 hours, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, React. It's the career path, yeah. Yes, and it was amazing. I absolutely loved it. I joined the Discord and just asked a bunch of questions that I needed. And everybody was extremely, extremely helpful. So that was for sure the kickstart of my career. I'm really happy to
1: hear Scrembo played such an important role during your beginnings. Where did you go from that? Did you go
0: on to study in more depth or did you start applying for jobs right away? So I had a little bit of imposter syndrome when I finished the, the career path, so I didn't apply. So when I was in college as well, I was studying uh, computer science. There's like these freshman and sophomore programs that you can apply to. So I just applied to a bunch of companies. I interviewed with Google, Facebook, DoorDash, Stripe, just all these huge companies. I was extremely scared. But as I progressed through it, I understood that the career path was extremely useful and it was a fantastic way to have like strong fundamentals in programming. So all I needed to do was just learn this area called data structures and algorithms and just apply that to the interviews. So I did that with Meta. And I got very lucky to to get an offer from Meta.
1: I can't wait to get into more details about how all this unfolded and what you'll be working on. Just in terms of the foundations there, I want to make sure I get this right. How did you balance university and Scrimba? How did they work together? Or did you do Scrimba and then enroll in university?
0: I was in Scrimba before I was a freshman in college. So I pretty much had like all the time in the world to complete the career path. And there was like a couple other courses that Scrimba also provides. So I did a couple of those as well. And once I got to to freshman year, I think I was very close to finishing the courses on Scrimba. For the classes, they weren't that difficult for freshmen because there's just like a bunch of like the basics. So like the core classes that you need to have in order to pursue your major. How did Scrimba compare to university? Would you say? Scrimbo is definitely a lot better than university. No, you're just saying, you're just saying that because you're on the Scrimba podcast. Come on. (laughs) Like the classes, they're not very practical. So currently I'm a sophomore right now. The concept that they teach, I think they they are pretty useful, like fundamentally, like maybe programming one and two, but overall it's just very boring. And then like, I would have this website called Zybooks that I was tediously going through problems I would never really see in, in, in a company code base. So that's why I really, really admire Scrimba, even though it seems like I am like drooling over Scrimba, but... Honestly, it's absolutely amazing. Obviously, I'm really happy
1: to hear that because, well, hopefully that's what everybody would say about Scrimber. The whole idea is that you subscribe for a small fee. There are even free courses, but the quality of education through the teaching, the methodology, um, but also the interactive format should hopefully help you remember concepts by actually building stuff and actually practicing I guess where the difference is, is that Scrimba is 100% practical. You will never find a Scrim that goes into theory without some kind of like practical reason. But at university, I can see it being very interesting getting into data structures and algorithms. You touch very quickly on things like AI, but I know there are modules on compiler design and all kinds of things like that that aren't going to help you materially build something immediately. But that foundation might be networking, for example, cybersecurity, all these kinds of things. How do you think that side of things compares to Scrimba? which is narrowly focused on something like web development.
0: So specifically for, for universities and college, I think it's pretty good to see um, like a breadth of what's going on in the computer science world. Last time that I've used Scrimba, it was mainly focused on the web. So I do think if Scrimba somehow propagates through all the other fields that computer science has to offer, I mean, apart from getting the degree, university is not very, a very good place to learn, surprisingly. It's very theoretical, which is good, but you would never have any projects. I've never talked about any classes I have ever had in interviews. I've only talked about my experience and the projects that I've worked on. So that's why I really value Scrimbo. Coming up, what's it like to interview at a big tech company? The bigger the name, the easier the questions are, which I'm very confused about.
1: We'll be right back with Gabriel, but first, Jan, the producer, and I wanted to read some of your comments about the podcast from Twitter and LinkedIn.
2: Hello, Scrolls on Twitter says, My take-home advice will be Chad on the Scrimba podcast, mentioning the fact that we need to show up to Twitter tech spaces consistently if we really want to have an online community. Thank you, Scrimba. David O'Reilly also tweeted about our last week's episode with Chad Stewart and said, Great podcast as someone who's taken a very non-traditional route into tech marketing at Microsoft, I fully agree there are more ways into tech than most seem to realize. Always happy to chat about it. And Prince Lua Marwia, I hope I'm saying that right, tweeted, OMG, the Scrimba podcast with at Booker Codes is really amazing for us newbies and pretty much anyone that needs motivation to land a job. I'm just a free member of Scrimba, but I've never felt this awesome being totally new in a community. Hashtag motivated. If you'd like to get a shout out on the show, just talk about it. If you're learning something from our podcast, you can share your takeaways on Twitter or on LinkedIn. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can also leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. And now we're back to the interview with Gabriel.
1: Tell us a little bit about these interviews. You mentioned some companies. I think everybody's ears perked up when you mentioned Meta and Google. As a brand new developer, how did you get your foot in the door?
0: Initially, it was just really cold applying. I got lucky on some. I think I applied overall to like 130 companies. There are some strategies, obviously getting the resume really, really strong and having everything very neat is very important having projects that are very good, using buzzwords in the in the resume. So it would target ATS. ATS is kind of like a little robot that reads your resume and sees if you have like the correct keywords, then you're gonna continue in the interview. I would essentially use programming languages. So if the description has like TypeScript, you know, I would put TypeScript, And JavaScript, I would do little things like that.
1: I wouldn't call those buzzwords so much as like keywords, I guess. Buzzwords would be, I don't know, things like chat GPT or omni-channel messaging or something, right? Something that sounds really fancy pants, but doesn't necessarily affect your ability to do the job. But that's obviously a very good technique. Where were you finding these jobs? Was it all through a certain
0: platform or did you kind of expand your search a little bit? Initially, I was just like Google searching. And then I believe I used this platform called Ripple Match. So I applied to that and when I was applying and let's say if I got this OA, OA is kind of like a little coding assessment that they give you that if you do good, then you're going to continue in the interview. Is that an acronym? What does it stand for? It stands for an open assessment. There's like two main forms of OAs. One is a hack rank and one is a code signal. So coding was usually like four questions you would solve them and it would give you like a little score i think from like 6 to 850 and hacker rank is like two to five questions more or less that the company would choose so you would do those. And if you get like a pretty good score, you would continue with the interview. And what was the name of the platform that connects you with the
1: companies? I don't recognize that one.
0: Yeah. So I used Ripple Match when I was applying. But for Meta, I just applied to the company site. It's actually really interesting that, you know, you went to Meta
1: specifically to apply. Did you have your eyes set on a company like Meta in particular?
0: What was your kind of thinking there? And it's pretty funny because I almost didn't apply to Meta because I just did not feel like I would get meta at all. Oh, you're kidding. Like for my first internship, I was actually convinced by one of my friends to apply to meta. So I just applied and just said, you know what, I'd probably get rejected. So what's the matter? I'm just gonna just try and why not? And lo and behold, I got the offer. So it's very, very important to just really apply. Like don't limit yourself at all.
1: Very, very important. We will definitely get into this. I'm super keen to learn more, but I just want to make sure we understand as well and not glance over this. Cause I think it's very impressive. You would get your foot in the door at these companies right what do you think it was about your profile your experience that made employers think okay let's have a chat with gabriel
0: i was very very involved well i still am very involved in my university so currently i hold like the executive board and the tech lead at a nonprofit organization with over i think close to eight thousand members and the goal is to just help minorities land job opportunities in tech so usually in the in the organization i would do like workshops One of them was like intro to react. And then I did intro to backend. And I would also in the organization do like executive decisions. So I was talking with the meta recruiter about that. And you know, they were very, very interested in learning more.
1: Is it mostly teaching uh, like
0: hard skills like React or do you sometimes offer career advice and stuff as well? It would be very impromptu, but like officially I would do workshops kind of like, yeah, like the hard skills and there would be like different programs I think it, right now it's called Init Reach, and there you would learn like the behaviorals and the soft skills. So, using like the different programs in the organization will kind of make you like a very well rounded developer or anything in computer science. So, you'd be completely ready to apply and get offers. It's
1: good you recognize the importance of that because I think a lot of first-time programmers, through no fault of their own, it's totally understandable. You think coding is about coding. Like your ability to get a coding job begins and ends with your coding ability. But those soft skills play such an important role
0: as well, don't you think? Oh, they're extremely, extremely important. Specifically for meta, I only had one behavioral. I had no technicals at all. So it shows you how very important behaviorals and soft skills are. Because you need to portray what's going on, and even when you're on a team, you have to explain like the problem that you currently have to other developers because you're going to be working on a team.
1: I am right thinking that getting an internship at Meta is pretty bloody prestigious right like they don't hand them out like candy by any means yes <laughs> help us understand like they didn't do a technical interview you know was it just this experience
0: where you were helping others break into industry that the set you apart i've done a lot of leak codes as well because the question that they asked like technical wise they're very very similar to leak code so if you have the the technical skills down to pass the oas then you would be moved on on average would be like three rounds but just passing those technical questions is not enough you really need to set yourself apart and have like a passion and show forth it through your experience extracurricular activities or any projects that you're doing. That makes a lot of sense. I guess when you said there wasn't a
1: technical interview, I was skipping over the fact that you did the OA in the first place. Is it tough, like the questions? Like what are some examples of uh, the kind of questions that might show up on the OA? And by the way, do you think they're quite specific to a company like Meta or is drilling leak code something
0: that's generally good for new developers? I think in general, leak code is very, very important. But in terms of the questions, surprisingly, the bigger the name, the easier the questions are, which I'm very confused about. And I didn't understand that at first until I was going like through the interviews. So one of the easier interviews that I've had was actually Google and eBay, just like a, a couple examples that I've gotten. It's a very, very famous problem on Lee code. It's called twosome and it's like the first problem that most people would do. So it's just to just show that you can code and you understand and explain your thought process in solving the problem. It's not really the problem itself. You don't even need to solve the problem completely. It's fine if you get very, very close and not finishing it. But if you're able to explain and have like thorough explanations throughout what is going on in your code and in writing very clean code, then you're going to be completely fine.
1: What sort of work will you be doing? Because I know you're due to start soon, right? You're actually moving, you mentioned, from Florida to California to work on campus. It's going to be such an incredible experience. Is the internship like a set period of time? Like, do you work there for, uh, sometimes it's called a summer internship or something, right? And what will you be working on? Do you know yet?
0: I'm going to be going in the summer from June 10th to August 18th. Specifically, I'm going to be working in web dev. So I'm not entirely sure if I'm going to be on a team or working solo, but definitely anything and everything web dev related, I'm going to be working with it. Huh. is that is that a lucky coincidence or is it something that they matched
1: with your experience having learned on Scrimba and clearly taken the passion for the web in the front end? I have no idea whatsoever, but I
0: I'm super glad that I, that's a great <laughs> coincidence
1: if it is. Gabriel, I want to come back and learn a bit more about your advice to new developers. But what do you say we do a round of quickfire questions first. Sounds great.
0: All right, man. So what was your first coding language? My first coding language was Python, but I got very scared of Python and then I just stuck with HTML, CSS, but then I went to JavaScript and I'd say that that was my official first language.
1: Is there any new technology you want to learn? Maybe something you've got your eye on, but you
0: just haven't quite got around to, or you're currently learning? Definitely. Right now I'm getting into AI and machine learning with Python, but I'm also getting into Rust and Rust is very difficult, but I'll I'll get there. When you're coding, do you code in silence or do you listen to music? And if you listen to music, what do you generally listen to? Initially, I was listening to music like lo-fi and sometimes I would listen to like classical or jazz. But nowadays, sometimes I listen to music. I think yesterday I was with friends, so I was just coding with my friends. So it just depends on day to day. What about fueling your coding sessions, tea, coffee or water?
1: I can't live without coffee. (laughs) Coffee is very important. Gabriel, do you look up to anyone in
0: the tech community that we should know about and can maybe follow and check out? I definitely look up to Bruno Simon who was definitely the, the man who inspired me. I also look to Theo Brown, which was an ex Twitch software engineer. And now I believe he's a CEO at his startup company. They stream on Twitch, right? Yes, they stream on Twitch.
1: Link them both in the show notes.
0: And I also listen to the Primogen. The Primogen is, is awesome.
1: Absolutely amazing. Those two, they get lumped in the same category sometimes, I think, because they're both doing really well on YouTube. Yep. And they make a lot of collaborations with each other. All right, Gabriel. Well, that does us for the quickfire questions. But you know what's funny? One of the quickfire questions that I've retired, but I want to ask you about outside the segments is about your opinions on AI. I used to ask people, will AI take over coding, but it's impossible to answer in a quick fire format. When you mentioned that you've been learning about AI and machine learning, I thought we should come back to this. What's your impression about AI and tools like Copilot and ChatGPT? What do they mean for programmers? And how are your friends at university, kind of yourself and your friends at university using and relating to these tools? I
0: mean, there's definitely like endless opinions, but I think... Artificial intelligence and machine learning is absolutely amazing. And I'm very, very happy to be growing up in an era that AI is very prominent. I don't think it's going to absolutely take over the world and like. Like the movies, you know, like crazy robots fighting people. I think currently it's just helping programmers to be a lot more productive. And it makes me essentially like the stereotypical 10x programmer. (laughs) Helps me with my small bugs, things like that. So I, I think it's absolutely
1: great. Yeah, it's an interesting time because no matter what you think about AI and these tools, personally, I don't think they're going to replace developers. I think they'll augment developers. At least right now, Copilot and GPT, they're sort of advanced forms of auto completion. For years, there have been tools that can do static analysis on your code and tell you where there might be a bug at runtime. I'm not even talking about static typing. I'm talking about certain extensions you can have in editors and IDEs that say, hey, this looks wrong. It might create a runtime error. But we can't deny that there is a trend happening where AI is having its moment. It's getting a lot more widespread adoption. There's an AI chatbot inside of Snapchat today, for example. A lot of developers who maybe knew about it, but didn't you know, learn about it in too much depth, uh, they're now bringing it to the forefront of their workflows. I'm kind of curious about your perspective here, because you mentioned that you're you know working in a generation where this is having its moment, and you're specifically learning AI and machine learning with Rust, even though you obviously really like front-end development. Is there a strategy there, or are you really just following your passions and interests?
0: I'm definitely following my passion and interests, but I also understand that AI is very prominent right now, very, very famous, especially on like what's going on right now with DeepMind and OpenAI, GPT, all those crazy things. So I would basically see the work, like even something like mid-journey that I would just type a sentence and it would just create a picture. Like it just absolutely stuns me. And it gave me like the same passion that I had when I saw Bruno's portfolio. So I'm attempting to go at it now. I'm doing pretty good. I'm learning about the, I'm learning about tensors, which is like a, a data structure in artificial intelligence. And, you know, later on in a very, very short future, I'm going to just start creating models and just implementing them in the web for my projects.
1: Is AI kind of relevant to the front end at all? Like, do you see a way for those two worlds to collide for yourself?
0: Frontend specifically, I'm not sure, but I think in like the web holistically would be pretty good. Even like right now, I'm currently working on a full stack project. It's essentially like a social media platform for developers. So it's comprised of three boxes. And you kind of make like a post. So the first box would be like context of what's going on in your code. And the left box would be code that you would input. And there would be a right box of also code that you would input. So you would probably use like the left box to, you know, put bad code that you written like two years ago. And then on the right box, you would have like more improved, more clean code. Also, you can show um, different types of code. So like one side would be in Python and the other side would be in Rust. So you're able to compare them. So I was thinking of adding artificial intelligence in that project to kind of detect what programming language you're using and it would do syntax highlighting for you. That was my current idea right now, but I'm not too sure about that. Really
1: nice, really cool. Very cool you have these projects on the go as well. That's how you kind of stumble upon really exciting ideas, I think, and keep sharp and keep practicing. A lot of people, I think, sometimes when learning to code, fall into this trap of maybe just only following the sort of brass tracks laid in front of them by the book or the course or the bootcamp or whatever. Uh, it's really important, I think, to branch off and work on some of your own stuff. That's a great way to tie all your knowledge together. Maybe that wasn't a challenge for you, but you know, everybody has their own individual journey learning to code. What were some of the things that you remember struggling with and how did you overcome them? I think it'll be really interesting for people listening who are also on that journey to know.
0: I think people think that coding is just like this magical place that only intelligent people can write. But I think, you know, like as I've experienced more and more in programming, it's just like learning anything else. So if you really like programming or if you really like what it creates, and you're able to put your ideas to life, then I don't see why not to just learn this specific language that just helps you talk to a computer. Computer science just boils down to solving a problem. So I don't think it should be compared differently. It's just like learning anything else. But if you really enjoy and find like i think it's ikigai your life goal essentially then i say go for it and obviously everybody struggles with with learning very difficult things i've definitely struggled you know i'm I'm not the most intelligent person on the planet so it's very important to just not go i think it's called tutorial hell You shouldn't just keep watching endless courses, endless tutorials, endless YouTube videos, because you're really never gonna learn. If you create your own projects, I think it'd be fantastic. And it even impresses recruiters. Yeah, very powerful
1: idea, isn't it? Like this combination of what you love, your mission, your passion, your vocation, what you're good at, what the world needs. Just finding that ikigai reason for being, as I put it, um, definitely something we can link to in the show notes. It might might sort of let a few things drop into place for people. Is there anything else that you wish you knew when you were learning to code for the first time and getting
0: started in the industry? Definitely try not to remember everything because that's not possible. And understand if you're able to be in like the programmer mindset and just not be um, a one tool person only using javascript or any other language then it'll really set you apart from other people 100 this
1: is really great stuff gabriel i'm just thinking what would be most helpful to people listening who are also breaking into tech. I also really appreciate that you mentioned that you had this kind of anxiety about applying to jobs, not even feeling ready. And when the time came to apply at Meta, you almost talked yourself out of it. It's a great testament to the fact that you should always just go for it because the worst that can happen is someone says no. And the best thing that can happen is that, you know, you change your life. But there are, of course, things that people can do to increase their likelihood of getting an interview and succeeding at the interview. I can't lie. You, you make it sound quite straightforward, getting a job at Meta as an intern but we know that there's a lot more involved in something like that. What else can you tell us?
0: It's pretty easy to just apply. You just go on a website and just click apply. You fill out your information. A little bit tedious, but overall it's very easy. But to have a, a more optimized chance of actual getting the interview, I think it's pretty important to reach out to recruiters. And that's something that I realized only recently. Right now, I think LinkedIn is a fantastic platform to talk and connect with recruiters. Or anybody in the computer science field to try to get referrals because referrals are also extremely strong in the current market. Coupling that with applying, it's really gonna increase your odds in getting the interview and hopefully getting the offer as well. Once I got my offer, I put like incoming software engineering insert to, to meta. And essentially, like the recruiters would just DM me on LinkedIn to just give me like opportunities to to apply with them as well. So right now I'm talking to a LinkedIn recruiter, and she reached out to me on LinkedIn, which is pretty funny, but it's very important to just like, if you really want to work at a company, you just look a recruiter on LinkedIn. And I've done this before a couple of times, but not enough. I think I've done this to Credit Karma and I interviewed with Credit Karma as well. So apply if you can't talk to a recruiter and try to somehow form a connection with them. Also do the same thing if you can't get a referral, if you don't know anybody who works there. The last option is to just cold apply but definitely reach out to a recruiter. So even for Meta, I applied a week late than when they released their applications because I tried to get a referral, but I was still nonetheless like very lucky to get the open assessment and then later on get the actual interview.
1: I mean, this is really such a powerful key point throughout this whole interview, which is pushing forward no matter what. Like, okay, ideally you would have got a referral. That's something that definitely could have helped, but you didn't let that stop you, right? You applied anyway and look where you ended up. Ah, wicked, Gabriel. This is so exciting. I can't wait for you to get stuck in. And when are you moving exactly?
0: I believe it starts on the 12th, but I'm going to go to California on the 10th to get ready because they're going to give me corporate housing. So I'm going to get used to a little bit of California.
1: Nice. That's part part of the compensation, basically. So you don't have to pay for your own. Yes. Is it remote or on site? I assume it's on site if you're going out there. Yeah. And it has free food, which is absolutely amazing. I love that perk. Underrated perk. I'm not sure if Matts have a similar idea, but I don't know. I think it's called. I think it's called the Google ten pounds or something. Like because Google, in some of their most flagship kind of offices, they have bakeries and stuff. Apparently, I've been to a London Google office once or twice. I don't think I spotted a bakery, <laughs> um, so maybe maybe people are describing one in America. I'm not sure, but just with the free food and the temptation, it's easy to put on weight if you make full use of the perks.
0: What are you most excited about? It's a very good question because I think like people who who look from the outside, they're just like, oh, I want to go to the offense, just experience the whole, like the whole thing, you know, like all the people and stuff. But I I really don't know. I like to just like explore new places. I don't think meta is going to be like the end goal for me. I'm not too sure but just like experiencing like life and just see what I like to do, because I really like that if I follow my passion, then just good things will, will follow through. Yeah, man, I think that's a very
1: wise philosophy and I think it will serve you well. I guess that's the way these internships tend to work, right? They are in the UK as well, I think, but I think it's more of an American thing potentially where every university, they encourage their students to do an internship as part of the curriculum. And then companies like Amazon and Facebook in particular, these big companies, uh, they want the best talent And actually, a lot of the internship is like the big company's opportunity to recruit early. And, you know, going into it right now, uh, you don't exactly know what to expect, right? What specifically you'll be working on with who you're not sure if it's somewhere you'll end up. I kind of think this is the reason why you're invited to the internship, because they probably want to show you what it's like to be part of that team and work there. And then, you know, ideally you'll come back from that perspective, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Do you know
1: what your kind of future career goals are? Are you just figuring it out for now?
0: I was definitely looking at the startups. Um, I know Per created uh, Scrimba or the CEO at least. And it, it was very, very impactful very positive to essentially tens of thousands of people. So I really do enjoy like creating software or just creating an idea that I have in my head to just hopefully help as many people as possible. That's something that I've always really stuck with. I might probably do a startup, you know, like a lot later in life, but that's definitely something I'm, I'm considering.
1: Oh man, that's really cool to hear. And uh, I think it's a wonderful note to end on as well. I have no doubt that you'll find all the success and then I'll get to say, oh wow, Gabriel, that founder and CEO, like he was on the screen of the podcast way back when. So thank you.
0: <laughs> of course, of course. I'll invite you when I have the podcast.
1: <laughs> Please. Gabriel, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time coming on the pod. And I know everybody listening does too.
0: Of course. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for for just being a, a very impactful person, you know, in, in Scrimba, just doing these town hall meetings because I've definitely joined a couple of town hall meetings like when I was starting up coding and I really, really enjoyed them. Thanks man, really appreciate it.
2: Next week on the show, we'll have Laura Thorson, Program Manager at GitHub, who's also previously worked at Meta, Twitter and Salesforce.
0: I don't even think I knew what coding was. I got started at UCLA actually as a music major. Um, I got a full ride scholarship to play the oboe and was the only person that was actually accepted to play the oboe in my graduating class in the whole country. So it was like a lot of pressure. (laughs) um, And I ended up switching a couple times my major and it finally ended with English I didn't really know what I was going to do with an English degree. There were all these different things I was kind of thinking about in my final uh, semester at UCLA. And then actually it was my mom who found an article in I think it was Time Magazine about coding boot camps.
2: Laura is our guest on the next episode of the Scrimba Podcast. Subscribe so you don't miss it. Check out the show notes for the resources from the interview with Gabriel. You can also find Alex's Twitter handle there. I've been Jan the Producer and we'll be back with you next Tuesday.